gonna say it, but somebody should. Let's talk about tune time. Let's talk about bum wine. Yeah, yeah, asking the questions that nobody should. Like who are the bone thugs and are they in harmony? Everybody, welcome. Well, the person who recorded that song, um, because the song was recorded and sent, uh, got a wonderful prize of picking some uh, some podcast topics, and the uh, the selected topic was uh, Lit Reactor. How I kind of got started with that, and then um, you know any behind the scenes stuff, I guess, any dirt. Got, I've got a small amount of dirt. It's like a pocket lint size, but I'll I'll, I'll go for it. Um, well, the story starts probably back in like 2003, um, because once upon a time, there was a website, chuckpalahniuk.net, which actually does still exist. Um, and there was a forum over there. So those of you who are not uh, probably age 30 plus have no memory or don't know what forums is forums what forums is forums is something that's basically reddit is like a forum right it's uh basically a discussion thread it's asynchronous and uh you can talk about whatever the difference is uh this is this is like pete's new theory of social media which is uh there used to be things on the internet and then social media kind of came and sucked up all those things and turned them into the pink slime of the internet that we all consume, right? Like, there used to be a bunch of book blogs out there, and now there's Goodreads. There used to be a bunch of funky little websites, now there's Facebook. MySpace is a great example, too, because MySpace was like old internet, right? You made a MySpace page, you could basically do whatever you wanted with it, you could do weird graphics shit put songs in there, I don't know, do all kinds of crazy crap. And the way you used MySpace was you kind of uh, visited your friends' pages and see what they're up to. And then Facebook did this newsfeed thing and that kind of... Uh, so you don't you don't really use Facebook, right, by going to everyone's profile. You don't necessarily use Instagram by hopping from profile to profile. Most people use it by um, just seeing what's in their feed. So anyway, Reddit kind of did that for forums. It used to be that forum, you, every site, not every site, but specific sites would have a forum. Um, some sort of famous ones like Penny Arcade had a pretty lively one. Who know? I don't know if they still have one. Um, Kevin Smith's View Askew board was another big discussion board slash forum. And uh, ChuckPalahniuk.net had one. So... Um, I was an active member on there. And, uh, you know, I would, they, they had like a virtual book club at that time, which, you know, was a, a crazy idea at the time and was great, though. Um, it was great for me because yeah, I'm living in Greeley, Colorado, probably population 50,000 at the time or something. And um, you, don't, you don't necessarily have access to a lot of people who, who would want to read... Um, 
what is that? Nick Walker's Black Box or shit like that. Uh, a Carlton Mellick the Third book, right? You know, you're not gonna manage to cobble together a book club. Um, so you could do it online. So this was kind of the early days of internet when it was internet was sort of fulfilling the internet promise of like bringing people together, and it was it was fun. And you know, people would fight on there and whatever, but it, overall, I think it was pretty good. Um, at some point. Uh, ChuckPalinick.net just became Chuck's website, and uh, Lit Reactor became its own thing. One of the bigger things that um, on Chuck's website too was he had writing prompts—not prompts—they were like short essays that encouraged you to write your own shit, um, and they're great. And they still do exist on Lit Reactor. You have to be like a member or whatever, but. Um, you know, I would say this, much like I say with my Patreon, which I shouldn't, is like, look, you can get on there, and if you uh, you want to put in an hour of work, download all the shit, and then, uh, you know, just pay for one month's membership. And uh, I'm not advising that anyone do that on my stuff or Lit Reactor, but I am just saying. Um, I think Lit Reactor is super cheap, too, but, and it's well worth it. Those essays alone are well worth it. And there's a lot of other, I think maybe Max Berry and Craig Clevenger and Stephen Graham Jones are on there. Uh, so anyway, um, and that forum was like my first place where uh, when I screwed around at work, that's where I was. I got busted by a colleague doing that and she was very much like, oh, this is what you're doing to screw around at work? And she was like, I mean... That's, you know, adorable. Because most people would be doing something much worse, I guess. I don't know. I guess it was still book-related, and I was at the library. That was my first job. I was thinking the other day, I was like, how would I sort of describe the, the jarring transition from my previous jobs to that job? And I was like, this, this was the first job where I could take a dump on the clock. Like, where that would be possible. Um, so, and you know, it was easily the first it was the only job i had where i was sitting in front of the internet up to that point um so you know you could do internet stuff so anyway um it split off and i don't know i kind of drifted away from forums and stuff because like whatever you have a life wasn't a big deal and also i think you know facebook all that stuff comes in um, so then the guy, by the way, who started, um, ChuckPalahniuk.net and Lit Reactor, and I think still manages both to an extent, is this guy named Dennis. Um, he seems like a nice guy. I've never met him. Um, but he, uh, started both of those and then he directed a movie called Starry Eyes, a horror movie. And then with his, uh, directing partner directed, uh, the Pet Cemetery remake recently. So that's kind of cool. Um, so anyway, I, uh, cut to like 2014, I think, 2013, uh, late 2013, I go to a workshop in Portland, Oregon with Tom Spanbauer. And, um, at that workshop, there's a guy named Rob and, you know, we, we all worked and learned a shitload, but there was also some downtime and some breaks. And I found out Rob worked for Lit Reactor. And I was like, oh, I love Lit Reactor. And like, 
I was, you know, naming some of the names I knew from the forums. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know that guy and I know that guy. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And that was pretty much the end of it. And then uh, not too long after I left the workshop, um, I got an email from Rob. Well, I think that's how this worked. I think he sent out a mass email to a bunch of people and that included the people I was in the workshop with. Or it could have been that um, he sent something out on Twitter or Instagram or something. I can't remember how this worked. But I wasn't singled out. I don't want to make anyone think that he was like, this guy's got chutzpah. We need to get, you know, it wasn't like that. It was just the uh, right place, right time a little bit. And um, so the application was basically, as I recall, they wanted you to talk just basically a short bio, link to anything you'd written online. And then uh, they wanted you to send like pitch, I don't know, four or five ideas for columns. Um, so I did. And I remember the email I got, and it was like, we like your pitches, we like your voice, you're in. Um, so from there, I mostly worked with this guy named Joshua Chaplinsky. Um, by the way, Rob Hart, this is like the most name droppery thing I could possibly do, because I'm talking about these people, but it, you know, I guess they're, they're famous to me. I, I don't think they're probably famous to everyone, but... Um, Rob Hart wrote a series of books called the Ash McKenna series. So it's like a detective. I read the first one, New York, and it was great. And then he wrote, uh, most recently, he has one out called The Warehouse. And uh, it's kind of like a... I, I was going to say like a future sci-fi version of Amazon, basically. And, you know, some stuff happens and intrigue. It's like a kind of a mystery thriller, I'd call it. Um, but... It's really not that futuristic or heavy on the fi part of the sci-fi. I mean, it's, you know, uh, not too far off from reality. It's kind of like, you know, I, I read the book and I still see him on social media. And every so often somebody, he tweets something that's like the newest story about whatever the fuck Amazon's doing. And, you know, he's like, I wrote a novel about this like four years ago. <laughs> And then I think he's got a new one coming out eventually called Paradox Hotel. I'm not sure where that all is. You know, something weird is you find out like publishers, like big-ish publishers even, it's so slow. It takes so fucking long for a book to come out. Anyway, um, so then I start, I, uh, Joshua Chaplinsky is kind of the editor-in-chief. And he's been there the whole time I've been there. So, you know, seven years. I would say I started in 2014, so like eight years. And um, you might know him from, he wrote a few books. One was called Kanye West Reanimator, you know, instead of Herbert West. And um, that one's pretty fun and also appeared on Joe Bob Briggs' The Last Drive-In. So I was like, well, Joshua Chaplinsky's living my dream of like having Joe Bob Briggs hold up my book. Um that would be pretty amazing. So that worked out for him. And then he had a, uh, shit, he had a book of short stories, which was also excellent. Uh, something in the mind of a dreaming ape. Damn. In the mind of a dreaming ape. <laughs> See if I can find it. I know this is the most exciting part of the, 
Whispers in the Ear of a Dreaming Ape is what it's called. And then uh, he has a newish one out called Paradox Twins, which I've not read yet, but I've got it sitting on the shelf. So uh, when I first started there, you know, I pitched like three to five ideas and I think they took one or two and I wrote those and basically how it has worked from then until now is pretty similar. Um, the way it is, is that I, uh, every month I get towards the first of the month, I get a, uh, email from Joshua Chaplinsky and he sends it out to all the writers who are, um, so we're not like staff, we're all paid, but, um, we're kind of freelance. So at the beginning of the month, he sends out an email, Hey, pitch your ideas. Um, we send ideas and then he and Dennis, I think together make the calendar for the following month. Um, and so then you, you usually get the calendar, I don't know, a week before the next month and your columns are supposed to come in five days before they run. And that gives you time to the editor time to go over them and all that stuff. Um, I know this is all very exciting, but, uh, that's how it works. And then I usually pitch, I was usually pitching five ish ideas and lately I've been pitching like 10 just because I have ideas and I kind of figure like, fuck it. I'll just let him, I'll let him pick whatever he wants and like whatever he likes. I'll go with that. I was doing pretty regularly four columns a month until early this year. Uh, they, they changed the pay scale. They actually doubled the pay for the columns. Um, so they had a, you know, renewed interest from some writers and they had some more pitches than normal. And that was totally fine with me because I could write half as many columns, make the same money. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, I don't think it needs to be the Peter Dirk show over at Lit Reactor. So that's cool. Um, towards the beginning, too, I also did news. So the way that worked is every weekday, um, we would kind of look through the news for book stuff or author stuff or whatever and then send those to Josh and he would say go ahead and do this one go ahead and do that one whatever um, and those would be like really quick one or two paragraphs just things happening in the book world I think to kind of keep us you know just keep us more alive in the online sphere is that like a pretentious horrible way to say that or is that okay um, so I did that, too, for a long time, and I've written lots and lots of pieces of news for them, but then at some point they stopped doing that. I think it just wasn't getting a huge return on investment. At some point, I became the community manager, and I have absolutely no memory of how that happened, um, other than I must have been asked. I think somebody was doing it, quit, and then I did it. Um you would think the big job here would be managing the community, right? Like, and that was the forum. So this is like the full circle part, I guess, where <laughs> the forum participant becomes the community manager. Um, but overall, by this point, I'm going to just be 100% honest and say that um, the community wasn't super active. The forum wasn't very active. People had made their way to other places. And um, I didn't spend a lot of time regulating conversations or, you know, I would try and start conversations, but I didn't see a lot in there. And, um, there was only one time where I think I had to like talk to somebody 
quote unquote. And it was a guy who just seemed crazy. Um, and a couple different forum members mentioned him, you know, in very short order to me because they were like, I don't feel like threatened by this guy or anything. I'm just kind of concerned for him. Like he seems uh, weirdly aggressive and out of it. And I'm not sure if he's okay. And I think I basically just messaged him and was like, Hey, here are the things you can't do anymore. Um, but you know, whatever else is fine. And, uh, yeah, if you have questions, let me know. And that was it. You know, it was a very light slap on the wrist. I think maybe there was an extra like, Hey, uh, you know, if, if you choose to continue to d exhibit these behaviors, it, it'll result in a ban, you know, pretty simple. And then, uh, he kind of just dropped off. So he's probably dead and, uh, I probably killed him. That is my lit reactor. <laughs> um, I have a few times, so let, you know, let's just column history wise. I'll just hit some of the highlights. Um, my first column was about good books for reading on the toilet. So my, uh, I think it was called poop reads. Cause I'd, I'd heard this term from actually an English teacher that I had. I didn't hear it from him when he was my English teacher. It came later. But he was, he was talking about poop reads, and he would that's how he measured books length. He'd be like, that was nine poop reads, and that would be a fairly short book. Um, it just kind of depended, right? But that was his way. So I did poop reads. That was my first column. And I was like, see, talking about shit gets you somewhere, kids. It's a good lesson. Um, I haven't had a lot of like real controversy on columns. I wrote a column. Uh, the headline was something like why Mad Max Fury Road is the best written movie ever. Um, you know, there was a time Lit Reactor was doing that style of headlines. I didn't feel super pressured to do that shit. I mean, we didn't get, we didn't get crazy. We didn't go Buzzfeed far, but you know, there's certainly a lot of like X reasons that Y is B. Right. Um, that one pissed a lot of people off, but I don't, I don't really know why, I guess. I guess because <laughs> I guess because it's the Internet. And if you sub express a subjective opinion, like Mad Max Fury Road is a well-written movie, um, you know, people get really mad. I, I just remember, I just vaguely recall people saying things like, this is so insulting to, like, film writers and screenwriters and stuff. And, like, Mad Max Fury Road had no writing at all. And I was like, that was kind of my point. You know, I, I, guess, I guess maybe part of what I'll do here today is sort of say what I wanted to say to those folks. And I just felt like Fury Road was really compellingly written. And scripted out, you know, and scripting out action is, by the way, writing. Storyboarding is writing. Um, and I felt that it wasn't getting credit for that. You know, I think it got credit for its visual effects and how exciting it was and stuff. But I don't think it was getting credit for being smart and well-written. And I just liked that it was, um, for me, good writing is clear and also isn't super showy. I don't, I don't, you know, a movie, I fucking hate The Lighthouse. I saw that movie. What a piece of shit. Um, and then I found out it was made by the same guy who made The Witch. And then I was like, oh, this makes sense. I 
just don't like this person's movies. I just need to avoid his movies all the time. Um, and that movie, to me, you know, I just, I just didn't like it. It doesn't speak to me because it, it feels very showy. It feels like, oh, what's the uh, deep meaning of this movie? And I hate that. I just don't like that. And whatever. Um, I did one once that got a bunch of people. Well, this one was interesting. This was kind of the beginning of my disillusionment with uh, libraries as a whole. I wrote a column about um, Marvel had recently put out a whole bunch of new superheroes. And I had noticed that something that they had in common was they were all teenagers. And so, you know, I wrote this column that was basically like, I mean, I think the first part of it literally said, there are two places I don't like teenagers on my lawn and in my comics. Uh, by the way, I didn't own a lawn at the time. <laughs> I've never owned a lawn <laughs> for teenagers to be cavorting on. Cavorting? What do teenagers do on your lawn? Whose lawn is are these teenagers on anyway? I've never really noticed a lot of teenagers on any lawns, but I don't have a lawn. So, you know. So anyway, um, this column got a lot of negative attention because people felt like I was coming down on diverse superheroes because the new teen superheroes were like Miss Marvel, who was uh, like a Muslim girl. There was the all new Hulk. I don't know, what he, the totally awesome Hulk or something. And he was Korean. Um, there was Miles Morales. I didn't really talk about Miles Morales, though, because I like Miles Morales. Um, there was a new Nova at the time who was like 12. Um, they're just a bunch. And, you know, but I avoided talking about some um, like uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, even though that was a total piece of shit. Because I felt like, well, I think this comic is designed for like nine year olds. So, you know, whatever. I didn't like it, but I was never going to like it. So anyway, um, basically I got accused of hating diverse comics, which I sort of had thought about when I was writing it, which is why when I did examples of storylines and heroes that I liked, I used diverse characters. I used um, uh, Jim Rhodes taking over for Tony Stark as an example of a good storyline. And um, there's a Green Lantern named Jon Stewart. He did not use his Green Lantern powers to host the Daily Show. He, uh, he was a Green Lantern. And there's a storyline where he accidentally kills an entire planet. Which is, you know, pretty fucking crazy. And uh, not so great as a, like, protector of a sector of space. And he even goes so far as to, like, almost kill himself. Like, he contemplates it. But, you know, I think he comes to some realization of, like, no, like, killing myself gets me out of this. I need to face this and do what I can to do right. And my point in the column was basically, like, well, they have all these new superheroes, but they're all teenagers. And I think it's kind of doing a disservice because all of the diverse heroes are teenagers. And I think the reason that they often make teenagers um, in comics, well, A, number one is they think that teenagers appeal to teenagers. But I, I did some statistic and some research, and I was like, I don't think that's actually true. 
And, you know, basically my point here is like, do teenagers want to be Robin or do they want to be Batman? Are they like, I identify with this guy in the little short pants and the elf shoes? Or do they want to be Batman? Do they need Robin as a surrogate to put themselves in his shoes? His little uh, winged shoes? Those green slippers he wore? Or do they just put themselves in Batman's shoes? Um, I think teenagers oftentimes see themselves as adults. Or see themselves as, you know, headed towards adulthood. And that's kind of the goal they're moving towards. Um, but I guess the other point I was trying to make was just that, um, I think the comics companies are copping out a little bit. I think there used to be, they used to have the fucking balls to be like, well, we can have a character who is a black green lantern and he can screw up. And I think that's good. I think that makes for compelling, interesting stories. Um, these teenage characters are all perfect, you know, and if they did screw up, it's like, well, she's 14. So, you know, can we attribute that to a character flaw? You know, like, can we, when Thor screws up, it's because he's arrogant. Um, when a 14 year old screws up, it's because they're 14. Like, that's what 14 year olds do. They fuck up. So anyway, I just, I felt like, I felt this way. And I'd also recently read, so Miss Marvel, I liked the first volume. And then I think it was volume two or three that has this horrible storyline where like this mad professor is using teenage kids as like basically batteries to power, you know, robots to do crime or something. And, you know, Miss Marvel gets them out of these robot shells and is like, don't you guys have like talents and abilities that would be better than just being a battery? And someone's like, I make sculptures out of recyclable materials. And another kid is like, I'm actually a chemistry genius. And, and, you know, I was like, this is so after school special. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, librarian Twitter was all a Twitter about this. You know, I got a lot of messages and ads and stuff from people who are basically... This is my first encounter with what I would call social justice warrior Twitter, you know, where they were kind of coming, coming for me a little bit and uh, saying a lot of things. You know, something I've learned from Lit Reactor is the best thing to ask someone if you want to engage with somebody, which you usually don't. But if you want to engage with somebody about your column, ask them which part specifically they found a problem. Because they haven't read it. So they need to read it first before you can talk to them about it. Because what people will do on Twitter is kind of ask you to rewrite your entire column in Twitter to them specifically. Instead of saying everything, you know, I'm like, I wrote the column. Um, I would refer you to this column that you just added me about for the answers to your question. Um... It got, it got a little weird, too, because they were talking to me about, like, how I was a librarian and I should know better. Um, and it just pissed me off at some point. I mean, it, it brought me down. I got to say it. I was just like, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Like, maybe, is this worth it? Like, this isn't worth, certainly is not worth the money. Um, is it worth the heartache? Whatever. Um. And it kind of pissed me off, too, because I felt like, you know, this is the problem I have with 
libraries sometimes is like a lot of people who work in the library, I feel like don't understand that um, I can be a different person when I'm not at work. Like I don't have to be my authentic self at work um, in order to work here. And frankly, I feel like if I was my authentic self at work, I couldn't have a job. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, there's a difference between my authentic self and my work self. And like I, at the time, like when I wrote this column, I was the teen librarian and I was for several years after this. And like, I did book clubs with teens, you know, I went into the schools and visited teens and hyped up summer reading to like hostile audiences and stuff. Cause you know, you don't really want to hear about fucking summer reading on your last 45 minutes of school. Hell no. I didn't. I didn't want to be there telling them about it, but I was like, oh, this is kind of my job. So, um, and you know, I, I really, I liked working with teens. I thought they were fun. I thought they were interesting. Um, and when I go to read comics, you know, on my own, I found that the, the things Marvel was doing with these comics was not satisfactory to me as a reader. And it can just be, you know, I, I can accept the answer of, well, they're intended for teens and so don't read them. I'd be like, that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, there was a whole thing too. There was like a Marvel retailer summit. Um, and basically the uh, head of Marvel at the time, the comics division was telling retailers like, well, he kept saying that people weren't buying these comics because they, because people were racist and comics retailers were telling him, no, that's not at all. It like you launch a new number one of, I think Miss Marvel had like five number ones you know, in the first few years that she was going and like the same creative team is still on it. The same storylines are still happening. And they were like, everyone's confused by the, you know, reboots. Everyone's confused by these big crossover events. And also some of these comics you have out like are good and some of them suck. And people aren't buying them because they suck. Also, they're like four to five dollars an issue. And like four to five dollars for 22, 28 pages is like not a lot. Um, that's not a lot of bang for your buck. So, you know, readers are kind of priced out of the comics market anymore. It's more just collectors now who buy the floppies. Anyway, that was a whole thing. And it just sucked. You know, I even used to have in my bio on Lit Reactor, like, Peter Dirk is blah, 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 and he's a master of library science, you know, because I just thought that was funny. And someone was giving me shit, and they were like, I've never heard anyone say it that way, just because they have that degree or whatever. I have the degree. I'm not a master of blah. And I was like, I mean, if you read one more sentence, it says that I'll tell you about the horrors of being responsible for a public restroom. If that tells you how seriously I take myself. So anyway, it was... I think people were taking me way too seriously. I mean, they were talking to me as if I was the head of publishing at Marvel and was telling them not to publish. There was even a guy on Book Riot um, wrote a column about my column where he, in my opinion, completely misinterpreted what I was saying. And he provided his evidence that like, well, teens really like these comics, which I never said teens don't like those comics. But he was like, I am part of a program where we give free uh, comic books to kids 
and they tell me that they like these books. And I was like, oh, well, that's some very scientific data that you give away free comic books. And the people you give them to are appreciative that they're getting free comic books. What a what a wonderful data set. Anyway, I've had I've held a grudge against Book Riot low these many years. And I do think I'm actually about to give them some comeuppance. Um, it may be a column that appears on Lit Reactor next month. And if it doesn't appear there, it will be on HelpfulSnowman.com for sure. Because uh, I paid for a service from them. And uh, boy, did I find it to be not great. Um, I'll just give you a small preview and spoiler alert. You know, it's a service where they recommend books to you based on your interests. And uh, my book recommendations were like supposedly written for me, but they were lifted straight from Goodreads reviews, like user reviews. I'm like, so you just stole someone's review and sold it to me as your own product. That's pretty fucked up. So anyway, fuck Book Riot forever. Um, there's one other one. Oh, more recently, <laughs> I wrote one about um, science and faith in fiction. And um, basically what I was trying to say is like, look, you can use like brainy stuff, but um, the kind of the you used to be able to sort of establish a character and establish authority as a storyteller by explaining something technical to somebody. So if um, a sort of a shortcut to making your character somebody that a reader will listen to, um, let's say I make him a chef. And they know a bunch of chefy things that nobody else knows, right? They know a bunch of little tricks or something like that. Um, if you read Chuck Palahniuk's book, Survivor, it's like full of these little domestic housekeeping tricks um, that the main character does. And what this does is it kind of tricks the reader into saying like, well, these things that this person is saying are true. And I wouldn't know these otherwise. Um, therefore they're sort of tricked into believing everything that the character says. Um, Tom Spanbauer talks about this as head authority and heart authority. So that's obviously head authority. And then heart authority is basically, um, the easiest way to access that is you make a reader listen to your character because your character will say something so um, humiliating or close to the heart or... Um, Something that somebody would never admit to somebody else, but they're admitting it in this text or whatever. And that makes the reader inclined to listen to them. You know, if I tell you something horrible, um, you'll be inclined to believe everything else I tell you because you're like, well, if he told me that, what are the chances that he's lying about this less, <laughs> less important thing, right? So anyway, I was doing a column that was kind of about science versus faith in fiction. And because I see a lot of people using science in their fiction to like create that authority or to world build. And I kind of wanted to put the word in there for like, you know, fiction is a, or faith is a tool that you can reach for as well. And it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean like Jesus or something. It just means like, um, you can make somebody believable without getting all scientific. It was really kind of a, a heart authority just from a faith perspective as opposed to a scientific factual perspective. 
um, there's this lady, and I'm not just saying it this way because just to be a jerk, um, Ellen Datlow, I think is her name. And apparently she's a pretty big time editor. She's done a shitload of like anthologies of sci-fi and stuff. And she, I guess, did not enjoy the column and felt that I was like, uh, misunderstanding what science is, which I was like, no, I think I get what science is. I, I, this is pretty basic. Um, and we had a very minor Twitter fight where I think she said something like, well, this is the, she said something like, this is a, the dumbest thing I've ever read or something, you know? And I said like, uh, I don't think that's true. Cause this isn't even the dumbest thing I've ever written. Like I have a very, you'll, you know, you'll never lose underestimating my, or overestimating my capacity to be dumb. And, you know, that kind of just resolved it and. I talked with, I didn't even really know who she was. And then somebody messaged me on Twitter and was like, I saw that thing with Ellen. And he was like, that was really disappointing for me. Cause she just like, she was kind of going after you a little bit. And I didn't think that was warranted. Like I thought your column made a lot of good points. And I was like, yeah, I did too. But you know, at this point I don't take it all that seriously. And I really don't like, I don't give a fuck what Ellen Datlow thinks in my column. Um, she commented on another one on Twitter, which was hilarious because I recently did one uh, that was so on Twitter. They had this book walkout question. It's kind of a meme going around, which was like, you're on a date. You sit down at the table. Someone says their favorite book is X and you immediately walk out, which is the book they said. And I was like looking through this, you know, thread and everyone's saying like the same shit. They're like Mein Kampf. And I was like. No, ain't nobody gonna fucking tell you their favorite book is Mein Kampf unless they're just desperate to get out of a date with you, okay? Like, let it go. So anyway, I just wrote this whole column where I was like, here are the answers lots of people gave, and here's the correct version. And I think the first one on the list was um, anything by Ayn Rand, you know, because then people assume they're a libertarian or what, fucking whatever. Um, and so then... This Ellen commented on Twitter and was like, you know, uh, the Fountainhead slash Atlas shrugged. And then whoever runs Lit Reactor's Twitter was like, that's the first one on the list. And she's like, I just read the list, you know. She's like, I have to admit I had a uh, affection for these books when I was younger. And I was just like, yeah, this is why it's a dumb question. Because, like, who's going to walk out on a date because someone has uh, disagreeing taste in books with you? My opinion is like, look, if you go on a date and somebody's able to talk books with you, like, that's a good date. Even if you don't like the books they like, it's fine. You're going to be fine. Um, those are the big things. So it's, you know, it's always someone who hasn't read the column is what I've learned. And I've learned just, you know, like, don't rewrite the thing. And the other thing I've learned is like, don't try and like seriously engage with somebody. Um, just, you know, make a joke out of it. Just be like, you're right, I'm the biggest idiot. <laughs> and then move on. Because what are they going to say? Um, I call it eight miling. You know, at the end of eight mile, Eminem's in a rap battle and he doesn't know what to say about this other guy. So he just basically talks about how horrible and stupid he is and then leaves that guy with nothing. So, <laughs> so then he wins the rap battle. Um the other one is a piece of advice I got from Chuck Klosterman, which he was like, people always tell you, like, 
don't look at someone's Twitter feed like if they make a bad comment about you or whatever. And he's like, I totally disagree with that. Like, go there because then you'll see they have 70 followers and they're just retweeting crazy shit and they don't even really seem to know how Twitter works. And, you know, they're not. They'll prove themselves to be a person you don't really care about. And uh, I, I find that to mostly be true. Once in a while, you find that you're, you know, being berated by a very uh, well-known editor, which is a little unfortunate. But, you know, I'm not fucking submitting any sci-fi stories anytime soon. I don't, I don't give a shit about spaceships. You know, unless it's the uh, USS Enterprise from TNG. Uh, keep it to yourself. I've also edited for the site a few times. So Josh goes on vacation and I would, uh, post the columns, um, edit them. Sometimes you had to do some special shit to just format them. Um, especially if there's a book list. I don't think this is a secret at this point. I, I didn't know about this when I first started there, but, um, one of the ways sites like Lit Reactor and the aforementioned Hellhole Book Riot make money is, um, like affiliate links. So I put up a special coded link that takes you to Amazon or I think Bookshop is the other one we use. And uh, when you get, if you click that link and then buy the book, we get like a little percentage. Um, so it's not huge, but you know, we get a little something. So sometimes editing involved doing that formatting and often involved adding images and pull quotes and stuff. Um, a couple times I did a, uh, a Black Friday column for lit reactor so i would put items on there that i thought people could use and then we'd use those affiliate links so sometimes we made a few bucks that way i i have no idea how much money lit reactor has made or does make from that i really don't know um and uh yeah i don't really care that's none of my business i don't get like more money for a column if i make more money or anything like that and uh, I'm totally okay with that system because, you know, some of my columns would make shit money. So that wouldn't be good. Um, let's see. I said there'd be some dirt. Oh, okay. I'll give, I'll give you the best thing I have as far as dirt goes, which <laughs> I guess the best thing I have as far as dirt is... Um, oh, by the way, I was going to tell you to, like, when the internet came for me for that comics thing... Um, Josh emailed me and was like, uh oh, dude, they're coming after you on Twitter. And I kind of said something like, how does it feel to employ history's greatest monster? And he was like, eh. Um, he told me that it, somewhere in the course of that, that he had written this column and he'd basically put in, put this picture of Tyra Banks next to a picture of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And I guess the internet got all a buzz about that being a super racist thing to have done, which whatever i you know i was not impressed <laughs> i was like this is racist i guess but i don't know i maybe i i don't know if it's that i don't know enough about lord of the rings or if i don't know enough about tyra um i missed the boat but whatever so i think everyone takes their turn in the barrel um the dirt that i'll share okay there's a guy who writes for lit reactor named gabino Iglesias? Iglesias? Iglesias. And uh, he writes columns that are very popular. I mean, he's got a huge Twitter following and stuff, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, 
but goddamn, does that guy turn in late shit? Like when I was editing, I uh, so stuff is supposed to come in five days in advance. That almost never happens. And part of the motivation for raising the uh, pay for the columns was that if things weren't in five days in advance, that would reduce your chances of getting future columns, right? Um, and every time I edited, God damn, was this guy late. Like, not I'm not saying most people didn't make the five days, but, you know, they'd give you like three days. Um, at the very least, it'd be in there sometime the day before it was supposed to go up on the site. This dude, it would be like, the day it was supposed to come up would be come and gone. It'd be two or three days later. I think I emailed him one time when I was doing it, because the first time I did it, I was like, I don't really know what to do. And there was enough at that time. We were often doing two a day. So I would post both and just, you know, or save one from one day, or there might be something that didn't get in last week, so I'd just put that in the right spot, whatever. Or I would just put my own column in there. And then uh, one time I was doing it, and I just emailed him, you know, and he had a bunch of excuses for me, but I still don't think I got it for, like, another two or three days, and it was, like, two days past due. And it was just sort of like, hey, man, I was just wondering if I should be expecting this column anytime soon. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm right on it. And it still was like another two or three days. It just annoyed the shit out of me. That's probably the closest thing I have to dirt. I mean, his columns are really good. And they're really popular. So uh, there's that Neil Gaiman thing that's like, what are the three things? And it's like, do good work, uh, be on time, and uh, people like you. And you only have to do two of those three things. And I think he does two of those three, three things extremely well. Um, but yeah, uh, so where's lit reactor going now? I mean, I don't know. I, I was just thinking when I started talking about how, how I, uh, pitch at the beginning of every month that I don't really have any ideas right now, which is kind of unusual. I usually email myself a handful of ideas through the month. Um, but I just, I got nothing right now. So I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do some fishing for ideas. So I will say this, if any of y'all have idea like things you want to see um that specifically you want to see me write about, I don't know why you would give me ideas. Um but yeah, shoot them my way. I'll I'll pitch them. Um provided it's not something that somebody's already done. That's what's so weird too is like I think I've pitched columns that other people have done before and I think I've probably pitched a column that I've done before. <laughs> it's kind of like when I pitch it and then I start writing it and I'm like, this feels familiar somehow. And then I remember like, oh, fuck. I don't know. My brain is just not great anymore. Too many, too many uh, head injuries. Undiagnosed concussions, I guess. It makes me good at uh, rambling on a microphone and not good at remembering, not good at remembering not only like books that I've read, but columns that I came up with, wrote, edited, put in the images, did all that shit. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I plan to keep going forward with Lit Reactor. I, every, every month I get sort of paranoid. Like if I don't get the email right away for pitching columns, I think, 
Maybe uh, Josh isn't sending it to me. Maybe he's like, we've had enough of your mediocrity. I think we're going to move on without you. Um, I don't know. But uh, that so far, that hasn't happened. And I don't know. I don't know. I wonder sometimes, like, if I sent him an email and was just like, you know, I think I've said everything I got to say here. I don't know if he would be relieved because he'd be like, oh, God, this fucking guy, finally. Or if he would be like, shit, you know, this guy was good filler. I, you know, I definitely think I deserve the good filler award on Lit Reactor because, you know, my shit's in on time and um, it's adequate. So it's like, that's not another, that's another day where something new goes up and a handful of people head over to the website. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd say is they do have classes on Lit Reactor and I've taken some um, just when there's a writer that I'm curious about is usually how I make that decision. I took one too that was awesome. It was a graphic design, uh, cover design class. Um, whenever you see someone on there like that you're interested in, it it's good. I mean, the, the classes that I've taken are excellent. I don't think there's anyone teaching right now that I've had a class from that I can endorse that way, but... I've never taken one that I was like, well, that was a piece of shit. So there you go. Uh, that's my lit reactor tale. You know, which is still to be continued. It ends with an ellipse, right? Ellipses? Whatever. I started this podcast not knowing the plural of something, and that's how I'll end it, damn it. <laughs> I'm going to die the way I lived, pluralizing things incorrectly. Um, we'll have more in the future of, uh, I'll do, I'll talk about some of those columns that I never got to, you know, if that's of interest, um, that was a request from the songwriter here, and so we'll do that too, but, uh, I think next time we're gonna do something just a little different, I think we're gonna continue on our first episode of a hundred new podcasts sort of scheme, so, uh, be looking forward to that. Your head.